Last Time I Cried, brought to you by AIA Vitality. In the new content series for the AFL, we ask some of the game's biggest names one simple question. Tell us, when was the last time you cried? In this episode, we speak with Tom Boyd, a young man who seemingly had everything going for him. Number one draft pick, big contract at the Western Bulldogs, premiership hero, but internally he was miserable. Tom explained how bad things got for him in 2017 before he was forced to walk away from the game he loved as a child. Tommy, when was the last time you cried? I'm not a, um, not a physical crier per se, but I, I remember the, the last time where I was so distraught and I didn't know what was going to happen next. And that was, I think it was something like the 4th of July, 2017, two days before I took time off. I'm not 100% sure that's the right date, but I was sitting there and I'd, had, I'd been having real issues with insomnia for a number of weeks at that stage. And what they get you to do with insomnia is, uh, firstly, they medicate you. And generally, that's not enjoyable because some of the sleeping medication is so powerful that in the morning when you wake up, you feel so almost hungover from the, the effects of the medicine that it's not necessarily a better option than not sleeping. The other one they do... They get you to sit in a chair next to your bed. They say, sit in the chair until you start dozing off. Get into bed, get out of bed. Um, if you can't sleep, just repeat that. It's part of the, just trying to bore your brain to sleep. Now, on that Tuesday, I'd kind of gotten to the end of my tether. I didn't have any. I, I was, I'd, been, I'd missed a couple of games playing, um, playing for the dogs because I, I think I had a calf or something. But it was essentially all stemmed from not being able to sleep. And I was sitting there at my house in Albert Park, middle of winter, no end in sight in the season. And I, and I was supposed to return back through the VFL that weekend after missing the last couple of games. And I was sitting there and I couldn't understand, I couldn't possibly comprehend why I was feeling so terrible about myself. Because I looked across my life and I had, had a beautiful partner was now my fiancée, Anna. She was the most supportive person going around. I had a new dog, beautiful Labrador, Nala. It was a great part of my life. I had an amazing family who did everything they possibly could to support me. And I was living in a beautiful part of the world. I was getting paid a million dollars a year, playing the dream job that everyone has always said, this is what you want to do. And everyone in my life is telling me how good I've got it. And I'm just absolutely 100% miserable. So I'm sitting there and I'm trying to work out what I'm doing next. And there's not an amazing amount of positive thoughts going through my head at this time, as you can imagine. And I kind of got to the stage where well, I worked out a couple of things. The first thing was that I couldn't play on the weekend. It wasn't going to be possible. My body wasn't going to handle it. And my mind couldn't handle it either. And I couldn't go on that merry-go-round that I'd been going on. And the second thing was that if I didn't get 
help. I didn't change some things. If something didn't give, it was going to be, I didn't know what was going to happen next. So the first time in my life, and I'd been seeing Lisa, my psychologist previously, but the first time in my life I actually called her and I specifically asked for help. I said, Lisa, I can't play on the weekend. I just, I can't do it. And of course, her being her, one of the most amazing people in my life, she said, how can I help? And that was the moment, the first moment, and in that hour, felt like eternity, I've never felt so terrible about myself and unsure about my future. But the one thing that I did was that I actually made the effort, made the decision to get someone to help me get through that time. And I can honestly say if I didn't, I don't know what would have happened next. That was the last time where I felt so hopeless that I couldn't comprehend anything good ever happening in my life. That was some two and a half years ago, almost. And it's been sort of a general uphill slope since then, which has been great, but I'll never forget that day. Good evening, Western Bulldogs coach Luke Beveridge was reduced to tears today, speaking for the first time as he farewelled premiership hero, Tom Boyd. Boyd retired yesterday with more than two years left on his contract after a long battle with mental health and a serious back injury. You know, it's sad, and, uh, but uh, you know, now we've we just got to support him and in his, uh, his endeavours in his, in his life and uh, he moves on, but um, you know, we think, excuse me. Uh, it's a pretty big legacy. We had, what was it, five or six decades without a premiership and he helped break that drought. And you can't leave a bigger legacy than that. When you put it all together, we had an unbelievable girlfriend I'm gonna marry in a great house, in a great country, healthy, earning well, sport I love, and cannot feel worse about myself. Mm. Where am I? But this is the whole point, isn't it? It's not. That's it's the point. It doesn't discriminate. Not, makes it. No one is immune, and it's not proportional to your life. At the end of the day, I'd love to help every single person in the world. But if if this the choice that I made to actually open up and ask someone to help me, and I was lucky I had someone as equipped as Lisa, but asking anyone for help. Have you got better at recognizing people who need help? I think I've gotten better at generally treating people better. The responsibility on us as people is to treat people fairly with respect and with value because, you know, sometimes those people can't find any value in themselves. If you treat people as though they're not worth anything, well, you are probably contributing to some of it. Now, it's not always a direct correlation between people's lives and, and the way they feel, but I think ethically, morally, just as decent people, the response has to be to try and look after everyone and at least treat them as your equal. One of the things that really resonated me with the... It was the open mic, not the Bob chat, I reckon, but you talked about, yeah, I've always tried to live a life where I'm well-mannered, really respectful of others, try and help others, behave in a manner that... Because I wasn't performing... For two hours a week, I was being treated like a terrible person. And I don't, think, I don't think that's a melodramatic statement. There's some pretty heinous stuff that was written about me at times. And did the, but not, this is the thing that's extraordinary, not just from 
people in the outer, from people discussing your career openly, I think unfairly in the mainstream. It's like, when does this end? Yeah. Well, I mean, football is a microcosm of community or the society in general. And as I said earlier, I don't have any qualms about what people wrote in the media because I understand now it's their job and they are often representing a greater story that is the mood and the way that Australia functions. There was a really interesting um, conversation I had two days ago with a guy, so a bit off topic, but he said the first thing that um, the leadership course when they come to Australia get to do in one of the courses is they send them to America and they get them to go and pitch themselves to the Americans and listen to the Americans pitch to them because the Australian culture is to be reserved, to not self-promote. And he said, when the Americans come over here, they're like, you guys are all, like, you're all so polite and how are you supposed to sell anything? And I think that is generally the symptom of Australia loving to knock down people who are at the top or, you know, popular. They're always looking for a chink in the armour. Somebody told me something similar the other day that if there was a Ferrari parked in the street in Australia, the view is what a wanker, what sort of flog drives a Ferrari and keys it. In Italy, people go, what a wonderful car, how beautifully produced. Whoever's bought this appreciates that and must have done very well in their life. Yep. Same situation, different culture. I heard a guy speak the other day, he talked about in your life, make generous assumptions. Someone cuts you off in the traffic, rather than go berserk and honk your horn and get angry, make the generous assumptions. Don't live a life full of poison and holding on to anger or jealousy or bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person gets sick. Now, with the media in particular, that's, that's my global shift in my approach because maybe some of those people on Twitter or Instagram generally across the media, maybe they all have an issues. Maybe they've got some sort of resentment inside them from something bad that's happened to them. Who knows? Maybe they don't. But talk about generous assumptions. Assume that those people, they're not bad people. Now, are they behaving perfectly? No, but we, none of us do all the time. If you consider it that way, it doesn't attribute to how they feel about themselves. That's the whole personal responsibility piece that it comes back to you making choices about how you feel to a degree, being in control of your emotions. So when you're at your lowest point, how do the conversations play out with mum and dad and Anna? Each differently. I mean, it's always the ability to process and information like this depends on sort of um, how open you are. And I mean, Anna had been through the whole ride with me. She'd been right there by my side. So one of the biggest challenges with people who are in that position, in her position, is that you feel very helpless. You're sort of doing everything you can, but it's very important that generally that those people who are sort of secondhand suffering get support as well because they are feeling like they're part of the not enough bit, which is not true at all. They're part of the bit why it's worth it. So telling her wasn't difficult and I think she was very understanding about me taking a break. She'd sort of been thinking it would have been a good idea for a while. The reality of AFL footy is that there are sort of realities of taking time off that industry. There's public nature realities. There's, um, you know, the logistical issues that you'll face training-wise. Um, you know, maybe, maybe two weeks off is nothing for some players. 
training-wise, but for, for me it was important to keep training. Uh, telling mum was reasonably easy. I'd sort of had conversations with her and, and she's an amazingly supportive lady and she's always been right there beside me the whole way through. Now, again, that hopelessness factor is probably, it's magnified because of her gap in, just in distance. So she's thinking, how, how can I possibly help without being overwhelming and just in your ear all the time asking you how you're feeling. So I think that's, again, it's really challenging um, for the people around you. And then, of course, telling my dad was an interesting experience. And the reason for that is for all his intent and care, and he, he obviously loves me to death and you know, was doing his utmost to support me, his life generally has been about if something's hard, put your head down, work harder go through it. And now this is one of the biggest challenges that I walk into when I speak to people, particularly of the generation of my dad, so in the 60s. How can you tell someone that their whole life, which has been very successful, that what they do or what they've done in the past doesn't work? It's like, it's just, just counterintuitive. It doesn't make any sense. So he, to his absolute credit, did everything possible to try and learn, understand, empathize, sympathize. Um, and that was really important for me to see that. That was enough, the effort was enough. But his generation naturally is, they're not good at this, they're not good at it. Now, I think it's become too obvious a reality for any of them to publicly deny that it's a thing. And unfortunately, we've, you know, his generation have had a lot of issues with this stuff. But again, it comes back to the fact that how can you, um, tell someone that what they've done their whole life and it's worked out for them doesn't work for everyone. It's very difficult. So that was one of the challenges I faced. And, and admittedly, it took me a while to have long-form conversations about it. And it took a, probably a year, I would say, partially because I wasn't comfortable speaking about it in depth. I didn't understand all of it yet. Um, but, you know, he's been my, you know, one of my best mates my whole life. So it's important that he, you know, invested and, and tried to make the the best fist of it that he could, that's enough. And does he now understand it and really feel or see how crippling it can be? Yeah. Or is it still a mystery to him? I, I think he understands it, the reality of it, but he, his limit of capacity to understand it is on a, uh, an objective level towards someone else rather than personally, subjectively feeling it. So. That's okay, that's fine. Um, sometimes I found, for a while at least, admitting, not admitting that it was real was easier than dealing with it. Now, I'm not saying he's dealing with it, I'm just understanding some of his thought processing and he, he does a great job of trying his hardest, which, you know, for a person of 60 next year, it can be a challenge. Mm. I went to a wedding the other day where one of the grooms, he's marrying um, his partner, so there's two grooms. One of the grooms, one of his brothers said to him when he came out 25 years ago, I never want to speak to you again. I never want you to come into my house again. 25 years later, he talks about that moment and how ignorant he was in the world and how things change and everyone's always learning. It's like, yeah, you, was it you that said, um, who's, who's my hero? Yeah, yeah. This is not me who came up with this story. Um, Matthew McConaughey does a great speech about 
um, someone asked him, who's my hero or who's your hero? And he says, and he thinks for a bit and he goes, well, it's going to be me in 10 years' time. And so 10 years passes and at least in the story, he says the same person comes up and asks him, who's your hero? What was it like to meet him? He goes, no, 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 that guy's not my hero. The guy in 10 years is my hero. And that's the whole progression, the idea around, um, yeah, moving forward every day in some way, shape or form and over time accumulating that progression into being a better person, a better father, friend, better at business, whatever it is, whatever um, part of your life, it's just about not staying still. That whole evolution piece, at seven or eight, you say to yourself, I want to be a professional footballer. Get drafted at one, you're a professional footballer. Within a year, you're thinking, I don't want to be a professional footballer. At 24, you're not a professional footballer, as happy as you've ever been mm. after going through hell. Well, I tell you what, my story has never been boring. And in many cases, it, it, particularly in the AFL world, it's very unique. So. For that, I have no apologies. Um, I think over time, people try to put me in a box always because it's easy to deal with people when they pigeonhole, he's a footballer or he's a high-paid footballer, whatever it is. And consistently and constantly without trying, I've bucked the trend, done things differently, not because I wanted to be different, just because I was trying to be who I was and I was trying to work out who I was. Now, now I can be myself all the time and act accordingly, um, participate in life accordingly, and it, it's so satisfying. So satisfying not being sort of tried to squeeze everyone into a profile that, you know, doesn't fit a lot of people. That's where you, I got my identity crisis from, I think, to a degree. So now I have the option to choose. Good to see you happy. Thanks for listening to The Last Time I Cried, brought to you by AIA Vitality. Just a reminder, you can subscribe to the feed so you don't miss any great stories.